Today's podcast is summarized with read your Bible. Yeah, I was waiting for that. I, I want to record it and just have a button I can push here. Uh-huh. Just read, 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 read your Bible, read your Bible. We can make a song out of it. It's true. Put it as your alarm in the morning. That's true. I should do that. Anyway, you can go ahead with the real inter- with the real introduction. I'm pray first. Oh yeah, pray should do that. <laughs> read your Bible and pray. Yeah. Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Sunday School Podcast where we take Sunday's sermon and we unpack it a little bit more and discuss it in a little more detail. And uh, today we're actually going to be finishing up uh, our series on worship that we've been in for the last four weeks and uh, we're peaking this at Romans 12, 1 and 2. So uh, if you have a Bible or access to that, we'd encourage you to turn there. If you haven't listened to this week's sermon yet, uh, go back to the episode right before this, listen to that, and then turn this back on so you have some context to what we're talking about and are up to speed on that. Uh, one quick note, just for those of you who listen to this frequently, next week we will not have a podcast episode because this Sunday our Africa team is going to be reporting, and so there won't be a follow-up podcast detailing that. So uh, be looking for another episode as we jump into Palm Sunday the week after and then Resurrection Sunday. And uh, then we'll be starting another series after that, which you'll have to wait to find out what that is. So, as we jump into today, our icebreaker, or our introduction discussion question, is, what are the aspects of your life that are at most risk of becoming an idol? And what is it about these things that cause you to recognize there's danger? Danger, danger. Um, I believe you directed that question to the audience. I'm waiting for the response. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you see this, you should respond out loud, even though we won't hear you. This is a really challenging question, though, because I think, honestly, anything is at a consistent danger for becoming an idol. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And an idol, just to put some more clarity on that, an idol is anything that we would put in a place of higher priority than our relationship with God. so That can even be reading your Bible. It can be. In fact, that's a really interesting thing, where there are people who idolize the Bible and knowing the Bible more than they do the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. Yep. It's something that I've seen in churches before, yep. where they, they, they do. They idolize the Bible to a point that they don't actually know the God of the Bible. Um, that's where it's important that we read and study Scripture to know God, not just to know Scripture. There's a difference. There's a big difference, actually. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Jesus had a discussion with the Pharisees about that. Yeah, thing. the Pharisees are a great example. Those guys knew Scripture. Culturally, they had to know Scripture. Yeah. And yet they were some of Jesus' biggest opponents. 
because in their knowledge, as Jesus would say, you're whitewashed tombs, mm-hmm. who on the outside look good, but internally are dead man's bones. Full of dead man's bones. So that image is haunting when you think about it. Jesus always has the best mic drops. Oh, yes. He just hits you with some truth bombs, and he's like, and <laughs> turn and walk away. Yep. <laughs> if you want to follow me, I'm, I'm going this way. That's what he's saying. Yeah, I think uh, uh, money and work are two that in our Western culture are big, 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 big problems um, when it comes to being idle. Being things we seek after or search for or yearn after. I listened to uh, a really good podcast yesterday um, that was asking the question, can we be a committed follower of God and still enjoy the things of this world? And where is that line? Uh, it was on uh, Family Life Today, their podcast, focusing on this. And um, I thought the explanation was really good in the sense that Scripture tells us we can enjoy the things of this world. And in fact, when we can see those things as uh, gifts from God, uh, it, it can be a, a beneficial aspect of our worship. But where it becomes a problem is where we care more about the gift than we do the giver. And I thought that's a really good way to think about that. To go, do I do I desire the gift more than the giver? In the in in as much as like I could care less who it comes from, I just want it. If so, that's an idol. Um, but if I see if I see the giver as the most important thing, then the gift becomes less important because I know the giver. And. Uh, even in the scope of that, uh, when we think about like money and work, we often yearn or run after those things, um, and then we hoard them, and that's a sign of idolatry. We we don't let go. So actually, our worship through generosity, or through giving, whether that's time or resources or whatever it may be, um, those are that's a great test to see: um, Am I willing to give up that which is not as important? for the one who is important. And the recognition of that in our lives can be really significant. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, whether people want to admit it or not, when your idol is money or work, it comes down to a trust issue with God. It does. And whether or not, do you fully trust that God will provide for you? Yeah. And that no matter what's going on, that God is in control. You end up trying to become the God of your own life. You're... You know, I need to do work this many hours to make this much money to do this, this, this. I need, I need to have X amount of dollars in my bank account or I'm just not comfortable. I don't have a good safety net when God is the ultimate safety net. You know, and whether or not we realize it, like, like, okay, so what, well, let's use a scenario of, you know, let's just say that you lose your job and you run out of your savings and now you have literally nothing. God's still going to provide for you. And you may not understand it. You may not understand why or what the purpose is behind it, but you should always know that God's plan is perfect, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us. And it's the same thing with the gospel. The gospel is perfect, but it will make us uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. If you have some kind of uncomfortability with it, that, that means you're, you're wrestling with some truth. And that's the that's the spirit inside of you. That's we, you know we talked about that during the prayer series on the groanings of the spirit because the spirit's trying to bring you to that place where you're fully reliant on God. Yeah, yeah, and just to uh, emphasize that a little more, even 
in First uh, Timothy chapter six, verses seven, verse seventeen, um, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he he's telling him, uh, "I want you to communicate this to those who are rich in the present age." And just as a side note, with that, if you are living in the United States of America, you are rich in contrast to the rest of the world. I, if you own a smartphone, you're rich. I'm, I'm just saying, and have a home and can flip a switch and turn on electricity or water like these are these are things that um and that same podcast i was referencing a little bit ago they actually <laughs> i'd never thought about this but they said the things that we enjoy in our western culture right now are things that solomon the wealthiest man in the bible like one of the wealthiest guys in the bible would have looked at with amazement that we have access to. So, yes. like, when it's speaking of rich in Scripture, I automatically think, like, that applies to, to to basically all of us living in the luxuries of the Western world that we often take for granted. But in verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, which would be prideful, nor to set, this is significant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So those those things around us are meant meant for our enjoyment. They, like that's the amazing thing is we can we can really enjoy them, and they not become idols. So it's not about living a sedentary lifestyle that's separated from everything and anything that would relate to the world. Which there's significance here when we talk about not being conformed to the world, and what does that look like in Romans 12? Yep. But the reality is. We we in our flesh really struggle to draw that line between uh, enjoyment and making something an idol. And so, what do you, what are your eyes fixed on? And uh, as Paul told Timothy, charge the people who are rich um, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And so, the contrast there is God is certain. The things of God are certain, but the 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 things of this world uh, are not certain. Um, the uncertainty of riches. And goodness sakes, in this day and age, that is should be very obvious to us. Like the, the future of your finances and your possessions in this are very uncertain. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of people that are really anxious. And that's not just people who are separated from God in Christ that are anxious. There's a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus that are really anxious. And I, I'll confess that I think one of the things that I've struggled with many times in the past, and my wife would echo this, is uh, an idol of uh, having a certain amount in my bank account to be comfortable. Like, if this much is there, then all right, we're good. You know, now, you know, now I can focus on the other things. When it's really not about that. It's about going, okay, God, you working in and through me is not dependent on anything that I have. Including, including monetarily. So, am I willing to uh, give anything and everything up for the name of Christ? Am I, am I am I willing to do that with joy? If something's standing in the way of me being devoted, fully devoted to God in Christ, that's an idol. So, um, I think we have to be really honest with ourselves about what those things are, and it can be anything. Anything of this world can step in the way of that. Um, so don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Um, we could honestly, that, that could be just a challenge in itself. Maybe you need to shut it off there and go, 
that's my challenge for this week. <laughs> and you can come back and listen to the rest of it after this. Um, because that in and of itself is a powerful truth that if you can learn to live with contentment in who God is, you will be one of the most peace-filled people uh, in this present age. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think mine, um, back in the day, would have been money um, and status. Like, I think a lot of people can resonate with that. With You want to leave your mark on the world. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And hopefully, <laughs> you want to leave your mark in a good way, not just do something that makes you infamous. Um, and there's there's nothing wrong with aspirations to that, but it can become an unhealthy drive. For oh, sure. sure. Um, and nowadays, I would say it's probably my legalistic nature of just being in God's Word, knowing God's Word above anything else. Um, and to a point, um, even up to a few months ago, I was putting that above everything else even relationship with my wife and my kids mm-hmm. um and it it was a hard crash coming down from that when yeah. i you know finally realized through scripture that what i was doing was not okay and so everything's been worked out from that standpoint um but yeah i i had taken a pretty unhealthy i need to know everything that's in here so i don't get anything wrong right and that was that in itself was wrong, and I was missing it. Yeah. Um, but I figured it out, and we're past that now, so that's good. Even though I still think everybody needs to be in their Bible more. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Just don't make it an idol like I did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. So in Romans twelve one and two, uh, it begins. It goes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we talked about this on Sunday, but the, the, Paul makes this appeal, and he's talking to the church. And the reason we emphasize that so much, um, we're really prone to read Scripture through this lens of uh, who we think most needs to hear it. And so uh, one of the most common places, even in Romans, I would say Romans is one of the books in Scripture that is most commonly read with the view of unbelievers, because mm-hmm. we have things like the Romans Road. And so we read passages in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, uh, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, Romans 6.23, All of these focused passages that kids even learn really early on. Yes. And we think about them and even share them in the context of unbelievers who need salvation. And that's not wrong. It's, it's okay to do that. But understanding there's... I remember the first time I recognized that Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is written to the church. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh my goodness, this is meant to be a reminder of the hope we've been given in Christ. Like the emphasis here is not evangelistic. It can be that. But the emphasis here is meant for the church to remind themselves that you all are sinners. Every one of you is. And you've been justified in Christ. And so when we understand that this is written primarily for the ears of the church, the church being those who claim the name of Jesus for salvation, then all of a sudden the application of that becomes really important. So Paul appealing to the church by the mercies of God, and I love the challenge for us to stop and reflect upon what are the mercies of God. And, and we walked through the first chapters of Romans and just pulled out a few of those. Uh, but it would be worth your time uh, to 
go through and just think through where in Scripture do I see God reveal His merciful nature to us? Where where do I see that taking place? Because it's on the grounds of what God has already done that Paul is appealing to the church for what he's about to exhort them to do. It's not just, oh, you need to do this because I, Paul, think you should do this, or because uh, uh, that's what is best, but it's ultimately, hey, stop and consider who God is and what he has done, and I'm going to appeal to you on behalf of that, in light of that, what should come next. Yeah, and I think a lot of people miss how Paul speaks in a lot of his letters. Like, when you look in, like, First and Second Timothy and Titus, which are commonly called the pastoral letters, you see a lot of we's and us. Paul's not excluding himself or any other apostle uh, from any of this. He's stating, hey, we're, we're all in this together. And where, it apl- where the Bible applies for non-believers is that it is truth and it's God's word. But it's also an instruction manual for the rest of us. For those of us that are in Christ, it's an instruction manual. This is how you are to act. This is how you are to live. I like to tell people all the time that Bible, B-I-B-L-E, stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. <laughs> and it's it's very much the case. I, we see over and over again repetitions of reminders of this is why Christ had to come. You know, we miss that because we're we're looking for what can I do? What does the Bible tell me I can do? You can do nothing but respond in obedience. Yeah. That's it. So the next section of this verse, the the exhortation that's given um, in appeal to the mercies of God is for the church to present themselves uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is their spiritual worship. And that uh, the word there, to present... Um, it, it, there's a lot of significance that comes here from the original language. And I try hard in messages on Sunday morning not to dive too deep into the Greek the Greek language. because The reason I do that, the reason I'm cautious in that is because I don't want people convincing themselves that you have to have a college-level degree in Bible in order to understand Scripture. So that's where I I really take to heart uh, the exhortation of Ephesians 4:12 that God gives gives pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so there's a there's a aspect of this. It's my job to be able to present God's word in a way that is clearly articulated and understood, but also recognize for the church to go, hey, we can understand this. We can read scripture in our own language and understand what God is calling us to. But within the scope of this specific word, um, peristemi is uh, uh, really how you would pronounce <laughs> uh, this word to present. And it's an infinitive. So a couple of things for those of you listening to this that I'll dive into a little bit deeper. Uh, this, is, this is a verb, so clear action, a verb. But it's in the er- it's in the aorist tense, and it's an active verb, so it denotes action. It's not passive, so this isn't something being done to you. It's something you're to do, and it's an infinitive. Now, a couple notes with this: um, an infinitive uh, form of the imperative, which would be a command, is really one of the strongest ways to give a command in the Greek language. So to present, it's uh, this is an exhortation or an imperative command 
given to the church. So this is a very strongly uh, infinitive uh, to present. And, and normally in the aorist tense, uh, if it's in the indicative form, it would refer to an event that's occurred in the past. But uh, when the aorist is subjunctive, optative, or imperative, as well as an aorist infinitive, which is what this is, um, it can refer to an action that takes place in the past, present, or future. So understand that, that this is where the Greek language gets a little complex in knowing the forms that these words take. And so knowing this is an aorist infinitive, that brings us to this place of going, okay, this is not something that's just happened in the past, but can really denote a variety of different time frames. We take this a step further, and the form that this aorist infinitive takes, there's about nine different forms that it can take. <laughs> and a lot of them we can sort out really easily in the context because it just doesn't fit. But there's two forms that this could this could really fall into. One is called ingressive form, and the other is comprehensive. And in the ingressive form, it stresses the beginning of an action or in the entrance into a new state or condition. So that would be something that uh, happens at a moment in time and then uh, brings about a, a different state of being or condition. And we can see that that could that could potentially be where this falls. Comprehensive denotes a longer period of time where there's really not a clear ending point to when this is supposed to to see. So it embraces an extended act or state, however prolonged in time, and is viewed as constituting a single fact without reference to its progress. So really, uh, the way I presented this on Sunday was that this is more comprehensive in nature, that this isn't meant to be seen as a, a moment in time. You check the box and you move on from that. But that this is this is meant to be something that we're to continually present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. It's not to stop. We're not to say I did that once and now that's just permanently done. And and that's even I I believe further emphasized when it talks about a living sacrifice. You're not presenting God with a dead sacrifice. And sometimes the language we use we can communicate that we can go. Well, I count everything as... We use the words of Paul again. We go, I count everything as lost for the sake of Christ from Philippians chapter 3. Um, well, if I, or, or I'm dead. My old self is dead and I'm new in Christ. Those are all true things. But are we presenting God with something that's dead or immobile or are we pre presenting God with who we are as, as active, fully surrendered, given to him not just at one moment when I feel convicted like oh I'm going to surrender my life to God in Christ but continually to continually present ourselves as living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which Jesus said very clearly um, the command to be holy is I am holy <laughs> you, are, you are to be holy so th this is not what I want to emphasize here in the scope of this this is not meant to be something that you check a box on and move forward with. Uh, it's to be something that is ongoing. That daily I would be uh, laying down my flesh and taking up the helm of what I have been called to in Jesus and uh, surrendering, or uh, as Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 10, um, to be a servant uh, because the Son of Man did not come to... Uh, 
be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is all modeled in who Jesus showed we were to be as the church and is further meant to be lived out in an ongoing desire to to sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice on his behalf. So at the end of this, it says uh, this concept of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice is your spiritual worship. And I I laughed, honestly, this last week when I was sermon prepping, I laughed when I came to the Greek form of this and it was logikos. (laughs) Because I'm going, yeah, it's just logical. This makes sense. If you understand what God has done for you in Christ, the most logical way to worship Him (laughs) is to sacrifice yourself on behalf of what He's done for you. Like, Present yourself as a living sacrifice. And that's really what it means. Reasonable, rational, spiritual, like the most logical way for you to honor Him. And what He has called us to is the same thing. I want all of you. I don't just want you to come to church on Sunday and check a box. And I get so frustrated by this because we convince ourselves that's what it's about. Or when life is going bad for us, then all of a sudden, oh, now, all right, God, I'm coming to you. (laughs) And I think God just has to be shaking his head. Like, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's you, You clearly are not seeing what God has done for you if your relationship with the Lord is a, like a light switch that gets flipped on and flipped back off consistently. Yep. You're, you're, you're not grasping the, the, the depth and the entirety of who God is and what He has done for you because if you really grasp that, then your longing is going to be, what What can I do in honor of what He's done for me because I know I, I have done nothing to earn this, what I've been given. I've done nothing to deserve the mercy He's shown me. So what do I What do? I do? This is where Paul's appealing to the church. I appeal to you, brothers. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice because this is the most reasonable way you can worship in light of what he's done for you. Yep. And if you want to figure out what a once-a-week relationship for an hour is like, if you're married, go spend a week yeah. in a hotel and then come one for one hour. Yes. You get one hour with your with your spouse. See See how that works. Yeah. I bet things fall apart quickly. Yeah, I read something this morning that I thought was really good. It was talking about people who say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And uh, the the response, this whatever this was, it said, uh, it's true, you don't have to come home to be married either. But over time, if you are absent, your relationship is going to suffer. Yep. I thought, well, that's a pretty good way to think about that. So the second verse in this, and we, what we talked about was, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect short summary read your bible <laughs> that's how you renew your mind <laughs> and so in the curriculum we wrote one of the questions asked is in what ways can we actively allow the spirit of God to transform us because one of the things we recognize in this is the idea of transformation is not something we can bring to be on our own. Um, and so, how do we how do we present our, our our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord? Well, it comes by not being conformed to this world. And uh, there's several cross references we could go there. I think of First John two. Um, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Really, really 
scary passages when you think about that. First um, Peter one fourteen. Uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Speaking of past, pre-Jesus, past. Don't conform back to those. Don't mold yourself around those things from the past. Um, but instead, that you would actually... Uh, uh, and that's what verse 15 of First Peter 1 says. But as he who called you is holy, guess what? You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holy, and we referenced that on Sunday too. I think it needs to be mentioned too. This is this uh, particular Romans twelve two is often what people are thinking of when they misquote it and say, "Be in the world, not of the Correct. world." Correct, and, and that's not what it's saying. So, well, and that that statement, I preached a message on that several years ago in our God didn't say that series, mm-hmm. and some people that's probably the only one that there's some give and take because yeah. there is some truth to it yeah. the problem is what we referenced at the beginning you you can enjoy the things of this world and still not treat them as idols and a lot of people say be in the world but not of the world and then they live a lifestyle where they completely remove themselves mm-hmm. from every fabric of society yeah. and therefore they don't have any witness they have no no presence with people who need Christ. And so there's a danger if we say, I'm going to be in the world, but I'm not going to be of it. So we're never actually engaging with people who need Christ. And that is not what he's called us to. Rather, he's saying, don't be molded or shaped by the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you know what God's will is. And the the really hard truth in this is, <laughs> I, I, there's probably a lot of people listening to this who have at some point, if not right now, are asking the question, I don't know what God's will is in the midst of this. In this season of life, I just don't know what the will of God is. Well, the only way you're going to discern what the will of God is, is if you are transformed. The only way you're transformed is through the Spirit of God. So, the starting point of this is a, a life surrendered, recognizing you need more than yourself, and allowing the Spirit of God to guide you and influence the decisions you make and what you do. And once again, all right, I, I tell people the, word, the will of God is the Word of God. God has already made clear what His will is for us. We just have to read it. We have to be in community with people who know it and who will speak that truth to us. And in the process of immersing ourselves into that, led by the Spirit of God, that's where transformation takes place. And another word for that transformation is sanctification. Like sanctification, the ongoing process of us becoming less like our old self and more like Jesus, is the transformational process. What is the thing that most gets in the way of us being transformed by the Spirit of God? Us. Us. It's, it's the flesh. It's the war that's waged. It's talked about in Galatians. That there's this battle between my flesh and the Spirit of God that's going on. And the one you feed is the one that will win out. So if you are constantly feeding your flesh, don't expect to know what the will of God is because you are in in doing so suppressing the Spirit of God. You are quenching the Spirit of God. And this is something Scripture says you're not supposed to do. Why? Because you you quench the Spirit of God, it gets quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. And eventually, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get to a point of going, I don't feel like I hear what God is asking me to do at all anymore. Yeah, because you stopped listening. 
the instructions have remained the same, but you stopped caring. So there's a lot of emphasis here um, that our responsibility becomes consistently bringing ourselves to a place of self-sacrifice, going back to verse 1, in order that we would be continually renewed and that our sanctification would continue forward. We would continue to be less like our old selves and more like Jesus. And you should be able to look back on your life in the last years and see a difference in who you are than you were back there. If you are exactly the same as you were three years ago, then then something is a is is amiss. If if you do not if you cannot look back and see, wow, I have grown in this way. Wow, I used to struggle here way more than I do today. Wow, I didn't used to have this many conversations about Jesus, but now I'm having these conversations. Wow, I used to be really fearful to do this. Now I'm not. If you can't identify those things, then you really need to evaluate what is taking priority in your life. What what has become an idol? Because something has. And I've been I've been in full-time ministry for almost 10 years now and goodness sakes even in that time I can look back and see such radical changes in how God has grown me and changed me conversations I have with people are so different now than they were uh, I wish I could go back and shift some of those I had in my early years of ministry because I I just was still at a point of needing to grow I'm still at a point of needing to grow that doesn't change so don't ever convince yourself that you've arrived you haven't arrived until you see him (laughs) until you are face to face you still have growth that needs to take place there's still change that needs to happen in you yeah and I I would follow that up with be cautious on a false sense of assurance that you have the spirit of God and that you do have salvation because a lot of people think that a prayer saved them that's not true a lot of people think that well, I go to church once a week. I, I do read my Bible. I listen to the podcast. That doesn't mean you have salvation. And so you should you should always exercise caution. You should always be questioning yourself. And how do you determine that? Well, it it boils down to: Do you have any love at all for the biblical Jesus and who He is? And you show that love by modeling Him in obedience. And so if you're not doing those things while I'm not God to say you don't have salvation, it's questionable. And so it's it's wise to, to wrestle with those things and, str- and struggle with that. I, I question myself with this all the time. And it's, it's because it's purely because I want to be sure that I'm following the commands of God and that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And and all of every time that I ask that question to myself, I come back to, yes, I absolutely believe that I do have salvation because I am growing, I am changing. There is this renewal happening. And it's it's more, um, for me, it's it's not just as, as much as looking back over the last few years. I can, I can look back every day and see where something new has happened, something different. I've, I've changed my thought process in, in this manner. I'm, I'm focusing more on the things above than the things here. And so it's, there's just those little wrestlings internally, those little struggles. And you'll, you'll realize that there's no, there's no real peace between the flesh and the spirit ever. There's always that, that struggle and that battle. Now, will you still experience joy and peace? Yes. But you should still, when you sit down and, and really think and meditate on on the Word of God and what's going on in your life, you should really feel the struggle between your flesh and spirit. And you should also, at the same time, feel peace knowing that the Spirit's going to win. 
ultimately. Yeah. And so that's kind of just just my little two cents on that. That's it's something that I wrestle with. It's something that I know a couple of my friends wrestle with, and I've I've talked with them about that. So you know, just really sit down and and discern and. And, and meditate on God's word and on His commands and on His promises and on who He is, and and wrestle internally of do I fit this criteria of what what a regenerate person that is is saved by Christ's sacrifice? Am I am I that person? Yeah. And another way, another thing I'll add on to that is, what is your relationship to sin? Do you grieve sin? Is sin something you mourn? Do you do you when you mess up? Do you regret? Do you, do you have regret over that, or is there a callousness there? Um, the person who's not been transformed by the Spirit of God has no remorse for sin. Yep. They they might have remorse for being caught in sin. Yeah. They might have remorse for oh well that wasn't good, but uh, repentance and confession those are those are fruit those those are results of the Spirit of God working because you realize there's a void here, and. We can have assurance. I want to make sure people hear that too. We can have assurance. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have to walk through life perpetually uh, unassured of salvation. There is salvation in Christ. Yes. But where we do, where I, I agree with you, we have to stop and evaluate uh, what is the foundation of my security rooted in. Mm-hmm. Is it actually rooted in who God is and who, what he has done for us in Christ? And if it is rooted in anything else, particularly if it's rooted in anything we've done, we we should really question whether that assurance is legitimate. Yes. It cannot be rooted in anything we've done because we're not worthy to do anything to earn that. Yep. So there there is a, a deep-rooted challenge, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, to stop and evaluate where does my assurance lie? Does my assurance lie in a story that I've told about my salvation experience for years and years and years? Or does my assurance lie in Jesus? Your present day reality will reveal where your assurance lies. Mm -hmm. If you are more comforted by a number in your bank account than you are in the salvation given you in Jesus, there's a problem. If you are more comforted by what your doctor tells you than what has been promised to you by God in Christ, there is a void there. If you are more comforted by who is in control of our country than you are by who God has said he is from the beginning of time, there's a problem there. So we have to evaluate where am I most likely to put my assurance, my allegiance, where am I most likely to sacrifice myself, for what purpose, for what gain, and is that line up, does that line up with what the Bible says a follower of Jesus should? Yeah, and that's the key to ensure that it's not the Jesus of your mind. It's not the Jesus that you want Jesus to be. It's the Jesus that the Bible says he is. Yeah. It you cannot you cannot substitute any aspect of Jesus outside of what scripture calls him and what scripture says he is. You cannot make any kind of determination of, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus but only these parts. Right. It's all or none. Yeah. And you can't you can't say, well, I, I really think that Jesus is like this, so I, that's what I'm going with. No, if the Bible doesn't say it, right. it's not for it's not the word of God. Correct. It's the word of you, and you are not God. Yes. And so you have to understand that it is about the biblical Jesus, what what Christ has been revealed to us by the Father. That's who our faith and trust goes in, not a. a figure of our mind that we twist and and control and that's where 
people mess up all the time with misquoting scripture. If you can misquote a simple verse about something that would, for lack of a better word, be minuscule, you can misquote who Jesus Christ is yeah. and then have a false assurance of who you're trusting in yeah. because you're not looking at the biblical Jesus. Correct. And that brings me, I'll just finish up with reminding people what our series idea in this was, and that's when we see God for who he, ha- who he has revealed himself to be, all of life becomes worship. That is, when we understand who God has said he is, not who we or anyone else says he is, who he says he is, when we understand that, then we can begin the journey of seeing how everything we do is worship, can be worship to, to the God who is the only one deserving of any of our worship. So if you have questions about these things, if you're wrestling with some of what we've talked about today, we would love to hear from you. We would love to wrestle with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And so email us. Email the church office, office at cantonefree.com. If you've got questions, uh, we'd love to hear those. We'd love to respond to those. Um, I suppose one thing is if we did get some questions, we could do a podcast on some questions next week. Absolutely. If people had questions or something you want us to talk about or engage with, um, we would love to do that. So if you're listening to this and you have something you'd like to hear, uh, you can send us those at any time and we'll just make a running list. So if we have an off week where we're not talking about a sermon or something along those lines, we can pick up one of those subjects and discuss it. Uh, We'd love to do that too. Um, If there's ways we can pray for you, Uh, let us know we'd love to be able to pray specifically for and with you uh, as a church staff and as those who uh, just desire to see the church well equipped and transformed as this passage we read today says Mm -hmm. Um, and if there's anything else uh, we we would love to know so uh, take time to uh, to to let us know yeah one thing I want to uh, just mention real quick and something that you had said was if you have this story of salvation that you've been telling for years and years and you realize that it's not true and correct, come talk to us. Yeah. There is no shame in this. Oh, yeah. For Absolutely sure. no shame in this. If if you have sin that you're dealing with, there's no shame in any of this. We are all guilty of sin, number one. Number two, let the power of God shine through you that... If you were were struggling with that and you've had this false, you know, salvation story for years, let the power of God shine through that you are recognizing that, repenting of this, and calling on God to save you. Let let God's power work in your life. Don't don't miss out on eternal joy in the presence of God because you thought, oh no, somebody's going to think differently hmm. uh, or differently of me. Yeah. Don't let that be the reason that you don't have eternal salvation. Yeah. Good. I'm going to pray for us. Yeah. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the hope you've given us in Christ. Pray that as we uh, step into now putting this into practice, um, you would give us perseverance and uh, open our eyes to see the opportunities you send our way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. We commit this to you and pray over anyone listening to this who's struggling right now that you would bring them to a place of comfort and peace that's rooted in you and only you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.